Man, powerful words. Amazing love. The love that God had for us. Now I got to catch my breath after singing that and get ready to preach. And so songs like that, I get a little carried away. It's good to get carried away with the things of God. A lot of people get carried away with sports and all that other stuff. And don't get me wrong, I still get carried away with that stuff too, but I'd much rather get carried away with the things of God. Hebrews chapter number 6 this morning is where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter number 6, and I think we got some guests with us this morning. Is this your guys' first time in our service? And so what's your names? Tim and James, thanks for being here today. You guys live in the area? Channel Hill's great. Thanks for coming today. We're glad to have you here. Always great to have guests. Welcome to our service this morning. Thank you for being here and being here with us. And so that's great, and uh, great to see some of you. I was teasing a few others. I was going to hand out visitor's cards to a few others that came this morning, and uh, the Lord is good, and uh, we need Him. We look in our world. Today we are looking at our unchanging God. We live in a world of change. It's just how it is. And we might not like it always, but that's how life is. There's nothing you can do about it. You know something? There's nothing you can do about getting old. There's nothing. If you want to try and wear the special creams to help the wrinkles not come as fast or dye the hair, do whatever you need to do, you're, it doesn't change. You can't change it. We all get older. It's going to happen. Alfredo, yesterday we, were, we did our door knocking thing and he had a brace on his knee. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, oh, I was wrestling with one of my boys and I tried to get up. It's like, I don't get up as fast as I used to. And you're only 40. Some of the people in the room, I don't even know how they do it. I, I, but anyways, life changes. Everything changes. This building here was built in 1896, this main room right here. One-room schoolhouse back in the day. When this building was built, there was no such thing as electricity yet. They didn't run it down this street till 1918. This building has gone through a lot of changes in the years. Went from having children running through it with the chalkboard. If you look... At the bottom of the wall, right where, if you're sitting by the edge there, that little edge, that's the chalkboard line. It was chalkboard all the way around the room. It was a one-room schoolhouse, kind of like, you know, probably like Little House on the Prairie style, that type of thing. And if you don't know what Little House on the Prairie is, you can thank God. You'd, no, I'm just kidding. But um, you grow up, if you grow up in a good Baptist home and you don't know what Little House on the Prairie is, you're not a good Baptist, okay? And uh, if you don't know what Little House on the Prairie is, just thank God now that you don't, okay? Uh, but anyways where your name came from, didn't it, Caroline? Yeah. My wife's family, there's 13 kids, and Maria came from the Sound of Music, I believe, and then several of them. You got a Charles, Laura, Caroline, all from Little House on the Prairie. In a Baptist family, that's what happens. You don't know any other names, because it's either Little House on the Prairie or the Andy Griffith Show. That's about as far as it goes, but our world was a much better place when people would watch the Andy Griffith Show compared to what we watch today. When all the... Think of how TV's changed over the years. The stuff that's on today compared to years ago. We just look at our world, it changes. When I was a teenager, right when I was going to college at 18, I had a cell phone. It was a little flip phone. That was the best cell phone of the day. And you know, they told me when I got my cell phone, you can send text messages on this thing. I'm like, why would I text anybody? I'm going to call and just talk to them. You can view the internet on this little screen. Why would I do that? And now today... I got a bigger screen, and I can text. I can even talk to it, and it writes out my text. I can get on the internet right here. Things have changed. 
Some changes we like. Did you know till 2008, this building had no air conditioning in it? Aren't you thankful for air conditioning? Amen. That's a good change, right? That's a good change. That's a good thing. But there are changes in life we don't like. We don't like getting older. Maybe some do, some don't, I don't know. We don't like having our loved ones pass on and leave us. We don't like to lose a job. There are some changes that we don't like. But one of the things that we know for sure in this life is the fact that things change. Everything started changing the day that Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden. And things have been changing ever since. We look at our country today. We look at our values and morals have changed. Just in my lifetime. When I was a little boy and when I was born, Ronald Reagan was president. And I think most would agree that he was a great president that we had. Some of you got to be here when Abraham Lincoln was president. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just making sure you're still paying attention. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We just look around us. We live in a day, as the Bible talks about in Proverbs chapter number 2 and verse number 14, where those who walk in darkness rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked. We're seeing the book of Romans chapter 1 play out right before our very eyes. In Romans chapter 1 verse 32, it's living out in our society as people have pleasure in them that do wicked deeds. It's all before us. Every value in America is being challenged by some group in some way today. Change is everywhere. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about the God who does not change. With change as a constant in this life, we need someone we can hold on to that does not change. I love how Charles Spurgeon say, said it this way, Would you lose your worries and fears today? Then you must immerse yourself in the immensity of God, for He never changes. His being and nature and perfections cannot be altered. Nothing can be added to the infinite God, and nothing can be taken from Him. What God is today, He always was. What God is today, He shall always be. He is all-wise and need not change. He is perfect and cannot change. Our stability in a world filled with instability is this. God never changes. We could say it like this, and I'll say this many times in the message today. In our ever-changing world, we can count on our unchanging God. In our ever-changing world, we can count on our unchangeable God. In terms of theological terms, this is called the immutability of God. Something that is mutable is subject to change in any degree. To be immutable 
means to be unchanging, unchangeable, and not subject to change. One of my books on systematic theology defines immutability this way. That perfection of God by which he is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections, purposes, and promises. One preacher said it like this, the Lord is immutable. It is impossible for his character or being to undergo any mutation. His power cannot be augmented or diminished. He never learns or forgets, and he cannot be anything other than perfectly holy. Nothing God ever says about himself will be modified. Nothing the inspired prophets and the, and the apostles have written will ever be rescinded about our God. His immutability guarantees this. All that God is, he always has been, and all he has been, he will forever be, and it will never change. No change is possible in God because God is perfection, and perfection needs not to be changed. A.W. Pink captured it this way, God cannot change for the better, for he is perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. If we are to look at our, the church's statement of faith, and it says, who is God? It says God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. There are many verses in the Bible that teach us about God's immutability. The Bible tells us in Numbers, chapter number 29, the Bible tells us, or 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Psalm 90, verse number 2, the Bible tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He never was a baby. He never had to grow into godlike status. From everlasting to everlasting, he's always been God. Bible tells us in Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27 of old, Thou hast laid the foundation of the world, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou, talking about God, art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Ye sons of Jacob, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because God is a covenant-keeping God, we can count on him not to consume us. James chapter number 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, look at the rest of this verse, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In the Jewish mindset, the heavenly lights refer to the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. 
God is the creator of all things and stands above all that he has made. And these heavenly lights turn. They rotate and shift and cause shadows. There might be a dark side to the moon, but there is no dark side to God. God's light does not dim. He never shifts and he never changes. That is our God. One metaphor that is used frequently in Scripture for God and his unchanged and his immutability is the fact that he is our rock. Psalm 18, verse number 1, the Bible says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord, Jehovah, is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Anytime you see there in your King James Bible the word Lord, all capital letters, referring to Jehovah, which I left that verse out back in Exodus, where we see it all begins with. Remember when Moses was there, and the bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning. And Moses told, asked God, who do I tell the children of Israel that you are? In Exodus 3, 14, God answers and says, I am that I am. I am the self-existent one, the non-changing one. And this is the name Jehovah, where it comes from. When we look at God, this is his covenant name. He is who he is, and he does not change. He's always been the same. You've got to understand something this morning. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in 2020. The God of Moses is still his God, the God of Moses today. The same God that created the universe 7,000 years ago is the same God that is still working in 2020. He has not changed at all. His character has not changed. His promises have not changed. Nothing has changed. The world has changed. The world's gotten worse, but my God has not changed. We look today, and you're like, why are we in the book of Hebrews? Because we're going there now. I give you a text. We get there. It just takes some time sometimes, okay? But if I give you a place to turn, you're going to look at a verse there or two. We're going to look at several this morning. The book of Hebrews. I believe that Paul's probably the human instrument God used, and maybe it wasn't. And if someone feels differently, that's fine with me, because... We can just ask the Lord when we get to heaven, and I don't think we're going to care too much at that point. We look at Hebrews chapter 6, and it's talking about Abraham for a little bit. One of the things that you see in the book of Hebrews, it lets everyone know that Jesus is greater than all of these things. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the Old Testament God. When we get to Hebrews chapter number 6, we see that it goes back and talks about Abraham for a little bit. I want to review with you for a minute a few things about Abraham. Somebody's phone is updating their football scores. I know what that is right there. If you're paying attention to a football score instead of the Word of God, I'm just giving you a hard time, Art. It's okay. Just don't, the Broncos are never going to win, okay? Just get that in your mind, okay? You can pray about it. You can fast about it. They're not going to win, okay? And there's some things that, you know, anyways, we'll just leave that there. Abraham, God told him, 
he's an older man in his life, and God says, I want you to leave your family and your kindred. I want you to go to a new place. Now, things you got to remember here is this. God didn't hand Abraham a phone and say, hey, just hit the GPS button and follow it where it tells you to go, and where it says stop, that's where you stop. God says, I want you to go someplace else where I'm going to tell you to go. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave them behind. You and your wife go to this new place. You know that Abraham didn't start out doing what was right. If we remember, his dad came along and his nephew came along. And if you go back and read the end of chapter number 11, you'll see the fact that one of Abraham's biggest issues in life, a stumbling block, was his dad. His dad's name actually means stumbling block. It's pretty interesting to go back and study all that. Another thing was Lot should have never been along. God told Abraham to go. Maybe Lot wouldn't have gotten into all the trouble he did if he wouldn't have came. That's just a thought. I'm not saying that's the way it is, but uh, it's a thought. But Abraham finally gets to the land that God calls him to go. Remember, there's a famine in that land, so he goes down to Egypt. He didn't follow God on that one. And you know later on how the Egyptian handmaid, and, the, and, they have a, and he has a son? If he wouldn't have gone to Egypt, he wouldn't have had the Egyptian handmaid. But what we see, and I love the fact that God uses imperfect people, because that's how we all are. And Abraham is by far a greater Christian than I will ever be in my life. And I'm glad that my name isn't written in the Bible there, and you get to see all the bad things I do. I'm glad we get to read about others. But God told Abraham, you go and do this, I will bless you, and I'll multiply your seed. He's an older man at this time. He's in his 70s. And God says, you're going to have a child. Now, how would that be if I came to... Say we have a couple in here in their 70s, 70s, 80s, and I said, you're going to have a baby. But that's what it was like. And God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a kid. Your seed's going to be, and all these things are going to happen. Abraham, everything changed for him. How did Abraham hold on to the promises of God in the midst of everything changing in his life? Today, if you'll pay attention for the next few minutes in your life, our lives change all the time. You look at, you realize this next week will be seven months since everything was supposed to shut down. Fifteen days is now seven months. A lot of churches, seven months, have not had church. Seven months. We are called to assemble. That's what the Lord tells us to do. A call, what is a church? It's a called-out assembly. It's not an online gathering. It's not a Zoom call. It's a meeting together. And if some government had their way, churches would just stay shut for forever. Churches need to be open and preach the Word of God. It's important. In seven months, things have changed drastically around. How do we get through life while everything's changing? The author of Hebrews, under inspiration here, tells us how to do it using Abraham as an example for us. Let's read verse number 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. 
For men verily swear by the greater, for an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Christ, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The truth of God's immutability is very clearly seen in Abraham's life. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We see, number one this morning, that God's promises never change. God's promises never change. We look back at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. When you go into a court of law, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. You swear on the, you swear on the Bible, on the Word of God. Because there is no greater you could swear upon. God said, my promises are true. I swear upon them myself, is what God said here. And God told him, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he, had, he obtained the promise. God's pledge is based on his own character. The Bible uses the word surely. It's a strong affirmation that could be translated, yes, indeed, assuredly, this is going to happen. God gave Abraham a promise in Genesis 15 and verse number um, 6. The Bible tells us, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Why did Abraham believe God's promise? It certainly wasn't because God fulfilled it right away. The book of Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham believed against all hope. He knew the odds were against him at his age because he was old. He was, old. He was an old man. And in Romans 4.21, this is what it says about Abraham. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham just believed that God was able to simply do what God said he would do. Abraham dialed in on the promise of God that God would never change what he has promised. Bible tells us in Psalm 119 and verse 89, forever, O Lord, this is all capital again, thy word is settled in heaven. Before God ever promised it to Abraham, it was already settled in heaven eons before that. When God says something, God means what he says. And may I just remind you today that God's promises never change. In our ever-changing world, we can count on our unchanging God. We see, number one, God's promises never change. Number two, God's purposes never change. Look at verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. The phrase, willing more abundantly, carries the idea of showing off abundantly. You've got to understand something. His word needs no confirmation, but he confirms it anyways. The word immutable 
Immutability there means never changing, fixed and unaltered. God has promised that his purposes will never change, even when circumstances become unsettling. When Abraham was asked to offer Isaac, his son, in Genesis chapter number 22, Abraham obeyed and was willing to slay his son, and God stopped him. After Abraham's obedience, what we see is that God um, gave an oath. God didn't have to do this, but look what he says here. And he said, by myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine own son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemy. God didn't have to. You see, God already made the promise. Then we see that God makes a pledge of that promise to Abraham. You've got to understand, you and I, change our plans all the time, but God's purposes never change. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, the Lord of hosts, you see it's all capital again, has sworn saying, surely as I have thought, shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. God's purposes do not change. Mankind has changed. Why did God create man? For fellowship, right? You read the book of Genesis, he created man for fellowship. Man broke fellowship with God. What did God do? He tried to restore fellowship. He didn't change. Mankind changed. What has he been trying to do leading up to the cross, trying to restore Mankind didn't want any part of it. Jesus dies on the cross. The Jews, their king, their Messiah, they could have, no, he's not our king. The book of Daniel says the clock stopped on them then. But there's still that seven-year period that's got to take place because God's purposes never change. God's purpose is still the same today as it was when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. His purpose is still the same today. When Jesus died on the cross, his purpose hasn't changed. That's why when the Bible tells us what's going to take place in the book of Revelation, it's going to happen because his purpose doesn't change. We change, and we can try to screw up God's plans, but guess what? You can't mess up his plans because he's God and his purpose doesn't change, and his will will come to pass, no matter what. In our ever-changing world, we can count on our unchanging God. God's promises never change, number one. God's purposes never change. Number three, God's personality never changes. Verse 18 says, That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. Abraham's faith rested upon the character of God. You and I can count on God's personality to be the same today as it was yesterday and what it will be tomorrow because he doesn't change who 
he is. Abraham believed that God told the truth about himself. And God was true to his personality. How did God express that to him? In two ways. By making the promise and then the pledge to that promise. Those are the two things that God did for Abraham. And Abraham, knowing the character of God, knowing that God would not lie, could rely upon God in the changing world that he lived in. That's what these verses are trying to explain to us. Aren't you glad? You think about this. Abraham waited a long time, 25 years, for a baby. Abraham hung on to the promises of God. When he was asked to sacrifice his son, he obeyed. And since it's impossible for God to lie, his promise and pledge are secure. God is not fickle in his feelings this morning, nor does he experience mood swings. And praise God for that. He never has a bad day. He never has a good day. His days are always the same. He doesn't treat you according to his whims of the moment. He is always completely consistent with himself. What would happen if God's personality changed? Would we approach him if his character was in a constant state of flux? No, we wouldn't pray. We wouldn't seek him. We wouldn't trust him or venture out by faith. We wouldn't ask him for help, but because he's God and he doesn't change, we know we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace from him and help in time of need because he doesn't change. God's personality is the same today as it was in Abraham's day. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's my God today. And even though people come into our lives and they let us down, relationships change, things around us scatter, God remains the same. He's the same today as he was then, which means he is absolutely reliable and completely consistent with his personality. Writer Jen Wilkins points out that there's a greater comfort, great comfort in knowing that God doesn't change because he doesn't change. We can rely on the unchanging truth of Scripture. What she said, what he pronounces as sin will always be sin. What he pronounces as good will always be good. All that he hath promised to do must come to pass. Our great hope of salvation lies in his remaining exactly as who he says he is, doing exactly what he said he will do. When American astronaut Alan Shepard was getting ready to go into space for the first time, a reporter asked, what are you depending on in this flight? His answer was good. He said, I'm depending upon the fact that God's laws will not change. God's laws do not change because God's words do not change. Someone said it like this, because God is omnipresent, it means he's here. Because God is omniscient, it means he understands what's going on in our lives. Because our God is omnipotent, it means he can help. And because he's immutable, it means that none of this will ever change. In our changing world, we can count on our unchanging God. Now, point number four, we're going to get there in just a second. Don't put it up on the screen yet. I never would have thought of this on my own. This was, uh, um, I know the Lord helped me, and then some books I was reading and through some commentaries. I never thought of this this way. But I believe this could be a big help to you if you just hold on here in just a minute. We saw, number one, that God's promises never change. God's purposes never change. God's personality never changes. And then number four, and lastly, we still got some time, so don't get too comfortable yet. Number four, people can change. 
Never would have thought of that. Say, so what do you mean? Look at the rest of verse 18, 19 there, and into 20. So it says, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible to lie, we might have a consolation, a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because he is our rock, we can flee to him for refuge. We can hold fast because he holds fast to us. To lay hold upon the hope means to grip or grasp onto God himself. Hebrews 10.23, right before that verse about um, our going to church, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Because God's promises, his purposes, and his personality never change, we can change. It's great that God never changes, but wouldn't it be awful if you and I never changed? Last service I said that, and some people were like, I would like not to change. Okay, well, enter into life without Christ. Aren't you thankful for the change that took place in your life the day that Christ came in? And that change took place because of your unchanging God. You needed a change. Now, this is pretty interesting to me. I hear people say often, they come to my office, they come to talk to me, Pastor, I cannot change. It's just the way I am. So you're saying you're like God. It's literally what you're saying. You're unchangeable. You're immutable just like God. That's what we say. That's a lie. We do change. You know, I hear people like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. In essence, what we're doing, we're claiming to be immutable, and we're not. We do change. Um, Wilkins, wrote, that I talked about earlier, wrote this, just as my assurance of salvation rests in the fact that God cannot change, my hope of satisfaction rests in the fact that I can change. The unchanging one dispels forever the myth of human immutability. Changing a heart that was once stone to a heart of flesh, changing desires that once sought to glorify self to those that seek to glorify him. And you'll note that the Bible tells us here that this hope of change is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Hey, church, our hope is firm, fixed, certain, and steady today. It implies, and because of that, it implies two things about us. First one is this. Our souls are prone to drift. There's that song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to drift. And the way that we don't drift, we got to understand our soul needs an anchor. An anchor is a steadying force and prevents drifting in the choppy seas of life. That anchor helps us from sliding away and keeps us from being swept away by the winds of trials and temptations and the sinful shifts that come into our lives. An anchor is that immovable rock that can, we can hold on to, or I should say this way, that has a hold of us. This idea of Hebrews 2, verse number 1, where it says, 
Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. What's going to keep us from slipping? Our anchor. What is your anchor? What do you hold on to when the storms are blowing, when the wind comes? In our ever-changing world, we can count on our unchanging God. I read about a shipwrecked sailor who clung to a rock until the tide went down. He made it to safety, and a friend later on asked the question, did you shake with fear when you were hanging on to the rock? The sailor simply smiled and said, yes, but the rock didn't. And life and its uncertainties will shake us. And sometimes they will shake us to our core. And we got to remember as we're shaken to the core that God, who is our rock of ages, he doesn't shift. And if we cling to him, and even when we can't cling to him, he is able to keep you from falling. At the end of the service, I wasn't able to last service, but we're going to sing a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. Because one of the things that we, we get this idea that we got to hold on to God He's holding on to you. You're not holding on to him. You're in his hand. Isn't that what the scripture tells us in John chapter number 10? You're in his hand. That means he's got you. He's got you, and you ain't falling anywhere. And you are not, not height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Nothing is going to get you out of that hand. We have an anchor. We have the Lord. An anchor serves another purpose as well. It's not as familiar to us today. But the biblical image here is the one moving ahead in safety and confidence by casting our anchor ahead as we go through life. There, was a, uh, there used to be an, uh, there was an ancient sailing practice called kedging, K-E-D-G-I-N-G. And it helps you understand what this verse is talking about. When storms or turbulent seas would threaten a ship docked in a harbor, a crew of sailors would jump into a small boat and haul the ship's anchor out to sea as far as the chain would allow them. The anchor would then be let down so the ship could pull itself towards the deeper water on the anchor chain. That's what kedging is. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He's the anchor of our soul. And then verse 19 says, He's sure and steadfast. Our anchor's in heaven, but our ship's here on earth. And he helps stabilize us and keep us straight in our constantly changing world around us. The Bible says that Jesus there, he entered into the place behind the curtain, ushering those who are saved into the very presence of God. In the Old Testament, no one could follow the high priest into the Holy of Holies but when we place our faith in the forerunner, Jesus Christ, we have access forever. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not just to drop an anchor so that we can hold on during life's difficulties. We are to anchor to Christ who pulls us along and changes us on a daily basis. We can move upward and we move ahead. I read this article a while back. It's pretty challenging. Four, challenging. four challenges facing the church in the West today. 
And he says this, we live in a society enthralled by expressive individualism. Be you and be true to yourself are society's favorite slogans. The first and greatest commandment for this way of life. Expressive individualism poses a challenge for the church because God's word challenges the me with the us and then sets the us under God. The human tendency is to look inward when God's word says to look upward. We resist the upward look because it implies that someone or something is above us and that someone might have authority. And formed by Western assumptions about freedom and happiness, we chafe against claims of moral authority over us or institutes that ask something from us. We resist anything that might stifle or self or or self-defined freedom. But when we surrender to his authority, God will change our lives. Because he does not change, it is possible for you and I to change. His promises, his purposes, his personalities do not change. We must change. Once we know God through Christ, we will change. And our unchangeable God delights in changing his people. It was either the beginning of this year or the end of last year. Um, I go through little bouts every once in a while of anxiety. And sometimes it's real strong. And sometimes it comes out of nowhere. Sometimes things are going on in my life and different things, and the anxiety comes and it flares up. And some of you are like, Pastor, just trust God. I know. You do the same thing when you have your troubles, too. We all fail at it at times. And there are times, and for me, and I'm being honest, you know, if you wanted a perfect pastor, you couldn't go to the church because you're not perfect either. So it's good we, none of us are perfect. And I would much rather have a church where a pastor will talk about his weaknesses and not keep them hidden. Because no pastor is a superman, okay? Got to remember that. There's one superman. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are all under that. I have just as many issues and maybe more issues than some of you sitting in this room this morning. One of my issues, uh, anxiety. And every once in a while, Caroline will be like, you need to go get alone for a little bit? You need to go, you know, she'll, she'll realize something's up. It's like, what, I'm a little snappy? I'm not allowed to be a little snappy? Is, is there a problem with me? My mood isn't allowed to change a little bit? Your mood goes like this at times, but mine has to be like this all the time. I'm just teasing when I say that, kind of. And, um, and so it's either the end of last year or the beginning of this year. And what I do is, and that's one of, my, that's one of the things that I do. And through COVID and things, my anxiety, there's a few times where just in July when they told churches to close their doors again and all that stuff, it really got me that time. And, but I've learned that I just get alone with God. That's what I got to do. And if I'll go to the mountains, and I'll just hike around the mountains by myself and just talk to God. And one of the things that I look for where I go, and I've got, I should, I could, I should put the pictures up for you, but I find rocks, big rocks, because I think of him as my rock. And even though everything else around moves and changes, my rock doesn't. And so one of my little go-tos, you know, it's kind of like as the psalmist said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I where I go. Psalm 61, the beginning of that chapter says, from the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart's overwhelmed. 
And then verse 2 says, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. When you're overwhelmed, you got to get to the rock. And you know, what's amazing, I go up to Mount Baldy, and there's a certain spot that I can get to, and there's this big rock area. Those rocks don't move. There could be a fire, and those rocks aren't going anywhere. There could be snow, those rocks are staying right there. Those rocks never move. I got a spotlight to go to a Dana Point. And for my iPad, it's my screensaver on there. Man, over Dana Point, there's this set of rocks that the waves just beat. Oh, there we go. There we go. It was dark when I went. No, just kidding. And, uh, and so you can see the big rock. They went away again. There we go. Stay. See, iPads, they don't stay. So I don't know. Just leave it like this. You can, okay, just look real quick, okay? I'm done with you. Done, iPad. Technology is, okay, but anyways, you get what I'm trying to say, okay? There was this rock, and this rock, last service it worked great, and this service is not working so great. But this big rock, there were times where it was covered in water. You couldn't even see it. And then over a little bit of time, the rock was still there. It didn't go anywhere. If you look at my iPad or you look at my phone on my screensaver, there's a verse on top of that, and this is what it says. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. He's the rock. Life changes. Some changes we like. You know, I like the change from, from January to now, 90 pounds I've lost. I like that change. There are some other changes that have taken place in that time that I don't like a whole lot. Maybe in your life there are things that you don't like that have happened. You cannot, life changes. People change. Relationships. I was just, someone yesterday, someone I care about deeply and dearly, basically said, they're done with me being their pastor yesterday. Those things hurt. Relationships change. We can't, you know, I wish that it wasn't that way. But that's where you got to hold on to the rock because he doesn't change. And Abraham, in the midst of his life, what did he have? He knew that God's promises would not change. God's purpose would not change. God's personality would not change. And that in the midst of the changing in Abraham's life, he could become what God wanted him to be, and he could change because God doesn't change. Church, where are you at today? What do you need in your life? Ask Caroline to come to the piano. We're going to sing a song.